0: Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, If you have your Bible, or if you want to use the Pew Bible, that's uh, right there in front of you. If you would, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, We're going to be in verses 13 to 18. And some of you may know this section. Uh, Some of you may not. It's all good. We're going to be in it this morning. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Uh, We're going to read it as we go through this morning. So we're going to have a quick word of prayer. Father God, we thank You once again for today and Your Word. And Lord, as we begin a new series this morning, Father, we look at things that so many people have questions about. So many aspects of confusion run into us. And Lord, it is in Your Word, and so we need to study it and have at least a working knowledge of it. But Father, there's so much strength and encouragement that we need, that is found in these events that we will look at. Father, I pray that You'd meet us where we are and that You would encourage us, that You would teach us, and that You'd give us clarity when it comes to You and to Your Word and what's next, so that You may use us in this world that is losing hope so fast that we could be the ones that bring the message of reconciliation and hope And that is You, Jesus. So use me this day for Your glory and that You'd give us ears to hear, Lord. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I could always tell when Bob's here. Bob, I appreciate it every, every week. Uh, it's good to see you all this morning as we start a brand new series. Uh, this is going to take us to the end of August. This series, What's Next, uh, is going to take us July and the month of August. So I think that's nine Sundays because this month is the fifth Sunday uh, month. And then September, we're going to start another series. Uh, I know what that is, but I'm not going to tell you yet. But uh, the reason for this series is this. Over the last 10 months or so, and I've been telling you this over the last couple weeks, over the last 10 months or so, I've gotten a lot of questions when it came to the end times events, right? I, I've gotten more. I normally get them uh, from teenagers and such in youth group, but this time it was a lot different. I'd been getting a lot of questions when it came to the rapture of the church and tribulation period and what's going to happen and the Antichrist and the, the coming of Jesus and all this stuff. And it was coming from adults more so than the teenagers. Uh, and so I'm like, and it's, it made me start to think, like, what, what's up with that? Why is there so many questions? And so uh, I don't know if they put something in the water in the area that made you all start having these questions at the same time. And so I thought, well, I'm going to put this series together. And this is the first time in 16 years that I'm going to actually preach on the end time events. Years and years ago, I spent about three months preaching on heaven, but we're not going to go that far. We're going to talk about the end times events. And um, we're going to do that over the next couple weeks. But there's a problem in all of this. And what that problem is, is this the end time events get confusing for us for all of us i'll give you an example amy and i went away this past week for a couple days the beginning of the week because uh last month june was our 20th wedding anniversary and so uh we were able to go away for about three days three and a half days without our kids right So if you thought I wasn't taking that, like you are wrong. Like somebody goes, I'll watch your kids for you for four days so you and your wife can go. Sure, fine. I'm going, you know, parents, you're you're with me. And so we went away for our 20th anniversary and we went to Cape May. Some of you know Cape May. Uh, We went to Cape May uh, this past week and we sat on the beach for a little bit. I still walked almost 20,000 steps a day. Uh, I don't know how that panned out. You'll have to talk to my wife on that, but one of the days we were sitting on on the beach and when I do the beach it's not an all-day thing it's like until noon at noon I'm done right well it's time to go do something else right and so Amy and I were sitting there one day and we were talking and she looks over to me and she goes why do people do that I go do what and she goes have their chairs pointed that direction so we're sitting on the beach right so imagine you are all the ocean right and so normal people at the beach you sit looking at the ocean right these people are sitting this way, right? And the oceans out there. And she goes, why are they doing that? Right? And it was, she was confused. She was baffled. She had no idea why somebody would sit on the beach facing this way and the oceans that way. And I literally go, Well, it's simple. So what do you mean? I go, they're sitting in the direct rays of the sun. And then her and I had this little discussion. Why would you want to sit in the direct rays of the sun? Okay, 10 minutes maybe. They sat there for two and a half hours like that. They were still there when we left. Like, Amy and I have the umbrellas, you know, the beach towel on us, and we're completely dry, lotion. We're not sitting in the sun. We're in the shade, right? At least I try to be. Somebody takes up all the shade of the umbrella, but we won't mention Amy's name, okay? And so we were confused, right? And all these people around us are sitting there just like baking in the sun, like they're a turkey on Thanksgiving Day. Like just baking. Why do you do this? And it was confusing to us. It was baffling to us why it would do, like people would do that. Maybe you're one of them. I'm not saying like complaining to you about it. I'm just saying it confused us. And I'm sure that you have sat and thought to yourself about something in life along those same lines. Wait. Why? Why are they doing that? Why are they doing it that way? Why aren't they doing it a different way? I don't understand why they're doing that. Normally it's with your coworkers. Like, why? I just don't understand this. What in the world are they doing? There have been times in your life where you've been just confused about something. Well, for many of us, that happens with the end time events. And especially the rapture of the church which is what we're looking at this morning. For many people, and maybe you, the rapture of the church is an enigma. It's a riddle. It is something that is confusing. But it doesn't need to be like that. You see, the rapture of the church, it should not be an enigma to you. It should be encouragement to you. Did you get that? The rapture shouldn't be an enigma. It should be an encouragement. But what is the rapture? Why should it be an encouragement? Well, I'm glad you asked those questions. I have three points for you. The enigma, the event, and the encouragement. And so, here we go. Don't fall asleep. This is important. we got to start in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4. And it's the enigma. Verse 13, Paul says this, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And so that's what Paul says. Wednesday, as Amy and I were on the beach, I was thinking through this message. As a pastor, I always have to be thinking, well, I don't always have to be. It just happens. I'm always working. Even on vacation, I am thinking about messages and everything along those lines. Studies show that it takes a pastor at least two weeks to fully disconnect from the church. And so Wednesday, I was sitting on the beach going, okay, I have to work on this message. And so out of the blue, I looked at Amy and I go, does enigma mean riddle? And she goes, what? She says, I have no idea what enigma means. And so I asked my phone, because that's what people do in 2023. Enigma means riddle. It means something that is confusing. And when it comes to the rapture, we have it. The church in Thessalonica was in the same boat. I want you to notice what Paul says to them. He goes, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Now that phrase, fall asleep, it doesn't mean that they're actually sleeping. It means that they're dead. The New Testament uses the, the picture, the imagery of falling asleep as someone passing away in the Lord. And this does not mean soul sleep or anything along those lines. If you ever come across the teaching of soul sleep, that is unbiblical. The Bible does not teach soul sleep. Some people believe that. Some people teach that. The Bible does not teach that. And so when Paul uses the phrase fallen asleep here. He's not talking about someone taking a nap. He's talking about someone who is in Jesus, who had their faith and their trust in Christ, who has passed away. And Paul goes, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about all of this. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, let me set the stage for you with the church of Thessalonica, because some of you may be in the same boat. You might be able to relate to them. The church of Thessalonica, when Paul wrote this, was a very young church. And I don't mean the age of the people that made up the church, I mean the actual church. Paul founded this church, he started it, he planted it. And it was only about a year old when Paul writes this letter. Our church is 152 years, maybe 153, one of them. Off the top of my head, we'll go with 152 years. Our church is 152 years. Same church, been here for 152 years, but none of you are 152 years old, right? It's made up of a lot of different people than it used to be. This church, the church of Thessalonica, was one year old. Parents, do you ever have issues with a (laughs) one-year-old? Yes, right? Same thing with the church, right? Same thing with the church. It is a very young church. And because of that, many of the people in the church were very young believers. Now, they could have been 70, 80 years of age, but spiritually speaking, they've only been following Jesus maybe a couple months, a year, maybe two years at most. And so they're very young in their faith. And so Paul started this church, and he got it going. He got people in place for leadership and things along those lines. And for a lot of different reasons, Paul had to leave the church very quickly. He couldn't stay there very long and really sink the roots of the church down into the the Bible, into the God's Word. But he did teach them a great deal when he was there. And what Paul taught them was this. He taught them everything. Even things that we classify under the summary terms the end times. I'll give you proof. A couple of verses from First Thessalonians. We're gonna be first Thessalonians chapter one, verses nine and ten. Paul says this: They tell you, they tell how you turn to God. "...from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait..." Listen for the language here. "...and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath." So what does Paul say? Because people are talking about how you have turned from idols, and how you wait for His Son, that's Jesus, to come from heaven. So the church has this working idea of this end time stuff because Paul has taught them. But then he goes on to say this in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 13. He goes, may he, that's God, strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Notice what Paul says there. When Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He is referring to the end time events. Paul taught the church of Thessalonica about things that we would call the rapture, the tribulation period, the second coming of Jesus, the battle of Armageddon, all those things Paul taught this church about. So you would think they would know this and be okay. Let me go back to the parents. Parents, when you teach a one-year-old something, do you only have to teach them once and then they're perfectly set with that for the rest of their life? absolutely not, right? What do you have to do? You have to teach it to them over and over and over again. You have to reassure them. You have to correct them over again. So that's what Paul is doing here. Because it was the case with the church at Thessalonica that Satan got to work in this young church. The church started to face persecution. And they were so young in their faith, they started to think. They go, wait. Paul taught us that Jesus was going to save us from persecution and hardships that we're facing. So if we're facing this persecution and these hardships, but yet Paul told us that Jesus was going to save us from them, did we miss something? Do you follow their logic? We're facing persecution. Paul told us Jesus was going to save us from it. So since we're going through it, we must have missed something. Something is wrong. And so because of all the external things, persecution, hardships, they thought they missed the rapture. What you and I call the rapture. They thought they missed it. But Paul is not just having to reassure them because of the persecution, but also because of false teaching. Because Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians. In verse 2, verses 1-3, to Paul says this, "...concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ..." and are being gathered to Him." Notice, end times. He's talking about the end times. "...we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way." So what has happened? Satan has worked in this young church to deceive them through persecution and false teaching that they have missed what you and I call the rapture of the church. And they're confused. They're disheartened. They're maybe even fearful. But more so than that, one of the things that they are greatly afraid was this. They were afraid about those that were in their family and friends that they loved, that had died in Christ that they were going to miss out on the rapture of the church. They thought their loved ones would lose out and not be part of this. And this was weighing on them. What happens to those who have died already? What happens to my uncle? What happens to my grandfather? What happens to to my friend who lived down the street who loved Jesus and died already? Are they going to miss this event? Are they overlooked? And so this was weighing on the whole church There was this enigma, there was this confusion in the church. And so Paul writes to them and tells them, listen, don't be ignorant. Don't grieve like those who don't have any hope. Because guess what they are doing? They were grieving like the whole world because they thought they didn't have hope because they thought they missed it. And Paul goes, don't grieve like the rest of men, like you have no hope, because you do have hope. And so what Paul does is he reminds them of what he has taught them so that they would find strength and encouragement in it. And I want to do that with you this morning. But I have to start here. There is a confusion that still sits there with people today when it comes to the rapture of the church. Perhaps it has to do with those who have passed away in Christ before us. Well, what happens to my great-great-granddaddy who loved Jesus? What happens to him? Maybe it's the event of the rapture itself. When will it happen? So I want to try to get rid of the enigma this morning when it comes to the rapture so that you can be encouraged by it. And there's three things that bring lots of confusion And I'm only going to touch upon these. You can ask me questions later if you have them. First thing that brings confusion the rapture of the church is not the second coming of Jesus. Some of you think the second coming of Jesus is the rapture of the church. It's not, it's two different events. Well, how can we tell the difference? Very simple. I'm Polish. So I try to find the, the simple things, right? The simple things, ready? Right? How can you tell the difference between the rapture and the second coming of the church? And some of you have heard me say this many times before, so you already know this, all right? The rapture of the church, Jesus does not step foot on this earth. As you're going to see in a couple minutes, Paul tells us that Jesus is up in the air, and he catches the church up to him in the air. Jesus never steps foot on the earth at the rapture. The second coming of Jesus which we will talk about in this series, Jesus will come and step foot on this earth and then what will happen, is what we know is the battle of Armageddon. It's two different events. There's the rapture of the church where Jesus stays and hangs out in the clouds, calls His church up to Him. The second coming is when He comes and steps foot on this earth. That's two different events. The second aspect that brings confusion is this, and some of you need to get this because you're confused on this. And how do I know that is by the questions you ask me. There is no sign or prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church happens. Some of you are confused by that. When you read places like Matthew chapter 4, or Matthew chapter 25, things that are talking about the end times, and this has to happen, and that has to happen, and this over here has to take place, that's all referring to the second coming of Jesus. Not referring to the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church can happen at any minute because there's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for it to happen. The rapture of the church can happen before I'm even done preaching. Did you know that? Are you ready? I hope so, because it ends in the next hour and a half before I'm done preaching and you're left here. I really hope you're not freaked out. Some of you got what I put in there. The rapture can happen just like that. There's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. That's why you need to be ready. It can happen at any given point. So one confusion is people mix it up between the second coming and the rapture. Others think that there's prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for it to take place. And then there's third is this. When will the rapture happen? All right. I gave you three views. I could have went with like five or six or seven views, but I decided not to. And no, I'm not going to teach on each one of these. All right. I'm going to give these to you really quickly. All right. There's three main views as to when the rapture of the church is going to happen. First, we have pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. The word tribulation there speaks to the tribulation period. If you're not quite sure what that is, come next week, because we'll start talking about it, okay? So pre- means what? Before. All right! So pre-tribulation means that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation period. You got that? Okay, good. What do you think mid means? Middle, yeah, during, in the middle. The other view of when the rapture will happen is in the middle of the tribulation period. The tribulation period is a seven-year period of time. So this group of people say that the rapture is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period. So what does post mean? Yeah. All right, yes. I love when you're with me. So post-tribulation says that the rapture of the church is going to happen... After the tribulation period, which really makes no sense to me, because you go up and you come right back down. Right? It's like being on an elevator for five seconds. It right? makes no sense to me. Right? The way it is. So, where do I stand? Where do our church stand pre-tribulation? Our church believes and teaches, along with myself, that the rapture of the church will happen before the tribulation period. Now, there are people that hold to the other two views up there that love Jesus and follow Jesus and aren't necessarily a heretic because they have one of those views when it comes to the rapture of the church. They may be false because of something else because a lot of times when somebody has a false idea of the rapture of the church, it will affect other theology which makes them wrong. right? But for us, for this morning, I will tell you that we believe and teach as a church, that the rapture of the church is going to happen before the tribulation period. So there you go. That's what happens. Well, that's that's some of the confusion. So what is the rapture? I've been bringing it up to you, but what is the rapture? Well, I'm very glad you asked this morning because that takes us to verses 14 to 17. It's not up on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. and Hopefully you have your Bibles because Paul says this. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, are left, will be caught up Together, And that's where we're going to stop right now, for now. So that's the rapture of the church. What I just read to you is the rapture of the church. So we need to unpack this slowly. Paul tells us who this event is for in verse 14. And what enables the rapture to take place. Because Paul goes, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. He goes, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. That is dead in Christ. So the rapture of the church only happens because Jesus rose from the dead. Did you know that? The only way the rapture of the church can happen is that Jesus is alive. If Jesus did not rise, then the rapture of the church can't happen because a dead Jesus can't come back to get you. Hopefully that makes sense. It is all predicated and built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul goes, Jesus died and rose. He goes, we believe that. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Because if you don't believe that, if you're alive when the rapture happens, you ain't going anywhere. You're staying here. Because the rapture of the church is for the church. I know this is not in line with our culture of the day. Our culture of the day is everybody gets a trophy, right? Everybody gets a trophy. No matter what you do, even if you're not on the team, you get a trophy, right? What I'm about to say does not go in line with that. And what that is is this. If the rapture of the church happens today, billions of people are not going to go in it. If the rapture happens today... Billions of people will be left behind. Why is that? Simply because they reject Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. They have not turned to Jesus as Lord, God, Savior, and King. The rapture of the church is for those people who believe in, trust in, have sought forgiveness from and confess Jesus as Lord, God, Savior, and King. That is who the rapture is for. The rapture is not for everybody. Will everybody be affected by the rapture? Yes. But only those in Christ are going. Everybody else are left behind. Those that have died in Christ, those that are alive at time, all take part in the rapture. And so the rapture is for believers. It is for those that are in Christ. When you turn to Jesus and believe in Him, you are in Him and with Christ and He in you. And get this, because Jesus rose, you too will rise. Do you get that? That's why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. If Jesus doesn't rise, then we don't rise. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because Jesus rose, those that are in Christ will rise with Him. And what happens, Paul tells us, is that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. I want you to notice that. Paul goes, Those who have died in Christ will come with Jesus. What was the church asking Paul? What was the church confused about? Paul, what happens to my dead relatives who love Jesus? Are they going to miss the rapture? And Paul goes, No, they're just going to experience it from a different angle because here's what happens with them. They come with Him. Ready? you got to get this. If you die before the rapture of the church, you're still going to play a part in the rapture of the church. You're coming with Jesus. Why do you say that, Pastor? Verse 14, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. So those who have turned to Jesus and have died in Christ are coming back with Jesus. We're going to be in the air with Him. Well, if you die before the rapture. Here's a question for you What happens when somebody in Christ passes away? Our body goes into the ground, right? And our soul goes to be with Jesus. Ready? Right? Let's see if you could finish this statement. Absent from the body. Yeah. Your body goes in the ground, but your soul goes to be with Jesus. So, guess what happens at the rapture of the church? Everybody who has died in Christ, their body's in the ground, but their soul's with Jesus. We're coming with them. We're coming with them. Paul goes, Your dead relatives have not and will not miss the rapture of the church. So how do we know this is going to happen though, Paul? Well, he continues on in verse 15. He goes, according to the Lord's own word. Paul goes, I'm not making this up. Jesus told me. Jesus told me that this is what was going to happen. Jesus alludes to this in John chapter 14. Ready? You're going to fill this in. Jesus says this. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and what? Take you to be with me. Did Jesus do that with the twelve disciples? Well, some of you are like, oh no, Pastor, it's too muggy to be asking questions like this. Jesus says that to the twelve because that's in the upper room, but he doesn't do that with the twelve. Jesus didn't come back and take Peter. He didn't come back and take John or Philip or Andrew. He's talking about the rapture of the church in John chapter 14. He goes, since I'm going to a place, and I'm going to prepare the place for you, he goes, I'm going to come back for you and take you to be with me. That's the rapture of the church that Jesus alludes to in John chapter 14. So Paul's going, listen, I'm not the one who made up this teaching. Jesus did. This comes from Jesus. He's the one telling us that the rapture is going to take place. And Paul goes on to say, listen, we who are still alive. Now pause on that. Notice what Paul says there. He goes, we who are still alive. Paul thought and lived in such a way that he knew, he believed that the rapture could happen in any minute. Paul didn't know when the rapture was going to happen. Paul actually thought and lived that the rapture could happen later in this day or later in the week or next month. And he goes, the rapture can happen at any point. And we who are still alive, we're going to have a role in that. We who are still alive, when Jesus comes at this point, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And what Paul is doing is he's reassuring the church in Thessalonica that there's no advantage in the rapture being dead or alive when it happens. Because if if you're in Christ, you will be at the rapture. You'll either be in the clouds with Jesus, or you're going to be alive here on this earth. And so here's the thing. What's going to happen when the rapture takes place? Well, verse 16. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven. Pause. I have to clarify something for you. I don't want you to get confused here. I want you to have a clear picture of this. I just told you that those who die in Christ before the rapture will come with Jesus in the clouds, right? You got that? Some of you are like, eh, kind of, I'm half asleep. It's okay, stay with me. I just told you that those who die in Christ are going to come with Him in the clouds. But what does Paul tell us in verse 16? For the Lord Himself will come. And you can read that going, well, it kind of seems that Paul says it's just Jesus in the sky. Hmm, that's not what he means by that. He means it's the Lord Himself is coming. It's Him. It's Jesus. Not an angel, not a stunt double, not anybody else. It's Jesus Himself, right? Have you ever met anybody famous? And you go, that's them. It's not somebody who looks like them or sounds like them. It's actually them, That's what Paul means here in this verse when it says Jesus himself will come. That it's actually him, not somebody else. So it's not talking about him being alone in the sky, but that it's actually him coming. He's not sending a messenger. He's not sending somebody to do his work, but that he himself is coming down from heaven. When Jesus comes from heaven, everyone will know. Well, how do we know this? Well, Paul tells us, listen. The Lord Himself will come down from heaven. Do you think people in the world will know when that's happening? Just think about what happens when something happens in this world now. There's videos of it all over the place. So if Jesus is descending from the heavens, do you think people in the world are going to know? Absolutely. But then Paul goes with a loud command. Some of your translations will have a shout. That is a military term. Now, I was not in the army. But I've seen enough army movies to speak on this. And Bob, you could tell me if I'm wrong. When a commanding officer comes in and everybody is sitting down, they usually yell something, I don't know what it is, and everybody jumps up and gets in line where they're supposed to be. Am I wrong on that, Bob? correct. Correct, right? Don't know what the word is, but there's a shout, there's a command for everybody to stand up, get in line, to get into rank. Guess what that, that's what this word means. That phrase, loud command, or a shout, depending on your translation, is that military word that would be yelled out to get the troops in line, to get the troops in rank, to get people where they need to be. That's that loud command. To stand up, get in line. And then he goes on to say, the voice of an archangel Please do not give this angel a name. We don't know who it is. It might be Michael. Michael is the only archangel named in the Bible, but there may be more. We're not given a name, so we shouldn't give the angel a name because we could be wrong. But an archangel is going to make this shout. Not only is this archangel going to make this shout, there's going to be a trumpet blast. And all throughout the Old Testament, the trumpet was blasted to call the nation of Israel together. Maybe it was to go out to war. Maybe it was to come and to have a feast. Maybe it was For all different things, it was a blast to bring everybody together. And so Paul goes, listen, you're going to know when this happens. You're not going, if you're alive... You're not going to miss this. You, you will know that it happens. Because Jesus is going to come down out of the heavens. An archangel is going to make this loud command. And a trumpet is going to sound. You will know. So that's the first part. So what happens next? Well, we have to go second part of verse 16. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice the word first. God is a God of order, not chaos. Paul goes, the dead will rise first. Now, if you have been paying attention, you should be asking yourself a question. And that question should be, self? How can the dead rise if pastor told us the dead are coming with Jesus? I see some of you thinking on that. If the dead is coming with Jesus in the sky, how can the dead rise first? Huh. Seems like we have a bit of a dink here. What does this mean? Means is this, it's not just rapture day, it's resurrection day. When Jesus rose from the grave, what was different about his body? In short, it was glorified. Yes, it had the marks of the crucifixion and everything along those lines, but it was glorified. Paul tells us that we're going to have glorified bodies that are going to be like that of Jesus. You see, the bodies of those who are dead in Christ will rise. And I will admit, there's not a lot of clarity on this, but we we, we trust Jesus. And so on the day of the rapture, The body of those dead in Christ will rise and meet with the soul of that person in the skies with Jesus. And you get your glorified body. That that kind of sounds like a fun event, doesn't it? Well, if you're in Jesus, it's a fun event. But if our souls and our spirits are coming with Jesus, and He says the dead will rise, well, that means what's what's in the grave? The body. So the body is going to rise and come and meet with us. Now don't ask me if a lifeless body is going to take three minutes and float up into the sky and everybody's going to watch this lifeless body go up in the sky and meet with the soul in the air with Jesus. I can't tell you that. I don't think so. But in short, it's on this day that you get your glorified body because the dead bodies rise out of the graves first. But things don't end there. If there's a first, there has to be a second. What's the second? After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. And so Paul goes, what happens on the rapture day? Jesus is going to come down. Loud noise, celebration, things, you're going to know it. Those that are dead in Christ, their souls, their spirits are going to be with Jesus in the air. While Jesus is coming down, the dead will rise out of the grave and the bodies will reunite with the souls in a glorified state. Okay, After that happens, those who are alive will be caught up to meet with Jesus in the air. And it is that word, that phrase, caught up, that causes a lot of issues. One of the problems when it comes to the rapture is this. People go, the rapture is not biblical. I go, why is that? Because the word rapture is not in the Bible. And I go, correct, you're right. The word rapture is not in the Bible. Unless you have a Latin Vulgate translation. Do any of you have a Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible this morning? Okay, I didn't didn't think so, right? If you did, you'd have the Latin word rapto. If I'm pronouncing it right. Remember, I'm Polish, right? English is hard enough Not, you know, to to speak Latin is kind of even harder, right? It's the word rapto. That's where we get our English word rapture. Because when the Latin is translated into English, it's rapture. The word that is phrased there, caught up in the Greek, is one word. And what it means is this it means to snatch away, to catch up by force, a violent snatching, to seize. That's what the Greek word means. I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. When I worked at Wegmans, there was one customer that I would not wait on. Even if I was the only person there, I would not wait on them. And I told my boss that. I go, you can fire me if you want, but I'm your best worker. I know you're not going to do that. I am not going to wait on them, right? And I wouldn't. I would not wait on this man. And I'll save you all the details of the story, but here's what happened. He came in the Wegmans, so I've been here 16 years, so this is probably 18 or 19 years ago. He wanted a pound of corned beef, right? We'll skip all the, the fun part, right? And so I cut. I couldn't go over a pound. And if you ever worked with a scale, a pound is 1.00. Couldn't go over a pound with this guy, right? If it was 1.01, he'd have a, a conniption. And so at point ninety seven, I stop. he go, okay, fine. So I put it in a bag, and I give it to him. But at this point, he was already really mad at me. And I mean really Really mad at me. And I'll be honest with you, I was really, really mad at this guy. Right? right? And so I hand him his corned beef, right? And he rips it out of my hand so fast that my arm goes like this. Have you ever snatched something from somebody else and just ripped it out of their hand like that? That's what the word caught up means. It's a seizing, a violent snatch, a violent catching away. It is something that you cannot resist. It's a seizing by force. You can't stop it. And so what Jesus is going to do is He's going to seize, He's going to snatch up to Himself those who are alive and believe in Jesus. Now please note, there's no judgment that God is handing out to people right here. Paul doesn't mention it. And so what is the event of the rapture of the church? Well, it's simply this. Jesus comes down in the clouds, stays in the clouds, in the sky. He comes with those who have died in Christ. As Jesus is coming out of the clouds, down from heaven, the archangel makes a shout. A trumpet is blasted. The dead in Christ will rise. Their bodies will rise up out of the graves, out of the sea, wherever they are meet with their soul in the sky with Jesus, those who are alive and in Christ, they will be snatched up, caught up with Jesus in the air. That's Jesus. Well, That's what Jesus does. That's the rapture of the church. Now, if you're like me and don't like heights, you might be thinking, well, that's kind of freaky, Pastor. Am I going to just float up in the skies for like two, three minutes and try not to look down? Not exactly. Because this is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. Paul says this listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Once again, sleep refers to death, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Well, didn't we just read about a trumpet being blasted? For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. Didn't we just talk about the dead being raised? And we, those who are alive, will be changed. Paul's talking about the rapture here. But notice what he says. He says in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, this is going to happen. You know how fast the word twinkle means there? It actually refers to the amount of time it takes for light to penetrate the front of your eye to hit the back of your eye. That's what the word literally means. And so when he says it happens in the twinkle of an eye, that's the amount of time it takes for light to hit the front of your eye, to hit the back of your eye. And he goes, we're all going to be changed. Dead are going to be raised... We're all going to be changed, glorified bodies. And it's going to happen just like that. And so thankfully, I don't have to float through the sky for five minutes, right? Uh, I don't have to do that. It's just, just like that. It's just like that. So what do we do with this? Well, as I, I said at the start, the rapture should not be an enigma, but an encouragement. And so I'm mean, going to close with this. The encouragement of all of this. It's seventeen, the second part of verse 17 and verse 18. To meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Start there in verse 18 before we get to verse 17. Therefore. One of the important Bible study words, right? Therefore. It sends us back to what Paul just said, which is telling them, your loved ones who have died in Christ will not miss out on the rapture. In light of that, because of that, encourage each other with these words. Paul tells them, go and encourage each other. Strengthen each other with these words. goes, for those who die in Christ, and for those who mourn in Christ, there is a hope. Because Paul tells us back in verse 13, he goes, Do not grieve like the rest of the world who have no hope, because we believe in Jesus that He died and He rose. And because we believe that Jesus died and rose, we have hope. And our hope is in part the rapture of the church, of Jesus coming back for His people, and that we will rise in Christ because God rose Jesus. And what God did with Jesus, He's going to do with those that are in Christ. That is our hope. And we don't have to grieve like the rest of the world who have no hope. That should be an encouragement to you and I. That when we face the things of this world, that it's an encouragement. But Look at what Paul says in the end of verse 17. He goes, we'll be caught up together. Meet together. We caught up together with them in the clouds. Who is the them? It's those who have gone before us. Those who have died in Christ. Paul goes. There's a reunion. Not just with Jesus, but for everybody you've ever known that have put their faith and their trust in Jesus, who have died. You're going to meet with them in the clouds. You're going to have a reunion with them up there. And that should be an incredible encouragement and a joy and a hope. You're going to be caught up with them. You're going to be changed with them. You're going to be with them. But it doesn't stop there. You'll meet them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Get this three things. Bring encouragement in this verse. First, you're going to meet those who have gone before you in Christ. Second, you're going to meet Jesus himself. I don't know about you. I really want to meet Jesus. I know Jesus, but I want to see Jesus. I want to hug Jesus. I want to shake Jesus' hand. I want to know what Jesus actually looks like. And when this happens, I'm going to be able to see Jesus. I'm going to meet Him physically, face to face. I don't know about you. That gets me pumped up. That gives me encouragement and a hope. So three things in these verses to encourage you. You meet those who have died in Christ before you. You meet Jesus. And three, it's forever. Did you catch that? To meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Forever. No more separation. No more death. No more pain. No more hardship. No more being apart from it. It's forever. It's forever. Forever. And Paul goes, this is what's going to happen. And this should be an encouragement to you. Is it? Friends, you and I are to take these words, take this event, and encourage others with these words. You and I live in a world that is losing hope as fast as ice cream melts in a 100 degree day. Do you realize that? Everybody around you has no hope You should, because of Jesus. Jesus is hope. The Gospel is hope. The rapture shouldn't be an enigma, but it should be an encouragement to you and I, that you and I share with others. And so what's next? The next event to happen is the rapture. And it can happen at any minute. And it should be a source of encouragement that encourages you so that you can use to encourage others. Let us pray. Father God, we are grateful for today. We thank you for your word that gives us clarity on these things. Father, I pray that you would give us an understanding or more of an understanding to the rapture than we had when we came in this morning. And I pray that it would encourage us. But I pray that you'd help us to use it to encourage others, Lord. Lord, I give this to You and we ask that You'd work, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.